few times a week, I run around Hagley Park along Dean's Ave and past the El Nur Mosque. And I often reflect on the hate that must have consumed that man who went in there about a year ago and killed uh, so many innocent people. And what led him to become so filled with hate that he planned and plotted and prepared to take the lives of men, women and children. His hatred brought sorrow and profound loss to hundreds if not thousands of people. Hate is so destructive. By contrast, I don't imagine that many of us have ever experienced this kind of raw hate very much at all. Um, I was called to the bedside of a dying woman during the week and was thanked profusely by her family. Uh, I took a wedding just yesterday and the happy couple thanked me so much. Uh, And we finished a reading group on Tuesday night and I was thanked by the 10 participants and I even received a card of thanks. Uh, I don't often see hate expressed. So when it does happen, it's an absolutely shocking experience. Have you ever changed lanes clumsily and been exposed to road rage? Or driven into a precious supermarket car park ahead of someone else and they thought they had the right? Have you ever been at a protest and the other side screamed at you? Well, let's turn it around. Have you been at a family gathering and a relative or a friend of a friend began promoting political ideas that you fundamentally disagree with and you felt your emotions rising? How can they think like that? Or you've seen an article in the paper, this happened during the week actually, about an immigrant who's ripping off his employees and you wanted to lock them up and throw away the key. Actually, we can experience those emotions at times. We're working through the Sermon on the Mount right now, and Jesus had a lot to say about hatred and enemies. And this is so relevant to international community, family, and personal relationships today. But let me put it this way. We've been commanded to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Well, okay. Uh, God is our creator and our redeemer. God and Christ died for me. Fair enough then. I'll give it my best shot. I'll really try and love God. But then scripture says we're to love those of the household of faith as well. You know, members of the church. Well, a bit more of a stretch here, but these people are Christians like me. We're together on this. We belong to St. Barnabas. We share a lot of common commitments. So I'll do my best. I'll really try and love my brothers and sisters in Christ. But then scripture takes it up yet another notch. Uh, We're told to love our neighbours. Now, I'm not sure how you get on with your neighbours. One of my neighbours is here this morning. But sometimes they can be quite hard to love. My neighbour is easy to love, just saying. But some some neighbours can be quite hard to love. They come and go at different times. They might be noisy or untidy or nosy or aloof or any one of a number of things that we chat about but we don't really like. But Scripture says that we're to love our neighbours. Okay, But now, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus intensifies 
this command to love to the ultimate degree. He commands us to love our enemies. Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, prevailing wisdom, conventional wisdom. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You heard it right. Love your enemies. And as Thomas Aquinas said long ago, love is to will the good of the other as the other. It's not about feelings or emotions at all. It's not about getting something in return. It's wanting the very best for the other person and doing something about it. Now, this is so radical, so countercultural, so counterintuitive. Jesus' command to love enemies really is revolutionary. It's so revolutionary that we ask ourselves, well, is this really possible? Uh, is this normal? I'm trying to love God. Then I've got to love Christians who I share so much with, and even neighbors who might be quite different. So I was kind of on board up until that point, Lord. But just like in so many other ways, Jesus pushes it just a bit far, and it seems beyond us. Okay, so what did Jesus say to further explain how we were to go about this? Well, he gave three snapshots, little cartoons to illustrate what he meant about loving enemies. And they cover three areas, physical violence, a lawsuit, and military occupation. So first up is the area of violence. In ancient times, to be struck on the right cheek almost certainly meant being hit with the back of the right hand. Just think about those dynamics for a moment. A backhanded and dismissive lashing out at another person expressing contempt. So that's not just about being on the receiving end of violence. It's also intended to be an insult, treating you like a slave or a child. So what's the answer? Well, retaliating with a fist would simply keep the hatred in circulation, even to escalate it. But Jesus proposes offering the other cheek, which says, hit me if you like, but this time as an equal, not as an inferior. The tables are turned. Or suppose you've been taken to court and your powerful opponent literally wants the shirt off your back. You can't win. So you give him not only your outer garment, your shirt, but your inner garment as well. And in a world where people only wore two garments, you shame your accuser with your nakedness. A dramatic illustration of injustice showing that this is contrary to Jewish law as well. It was for forbidden. The tables are turned. And finally, if a soldier of the occupation forced you to carry his pack one mile, don't fret, don't fume and plot revenge. Take it another mile. This action would have alarmed the soldier because the rules of occupation forbade anyone from being forced to carry a pack for more than a mile. The soldier may have become worried that his commanding officer might find out. The tables are turned. So you see the genius of Jesus' ethical teaching. These three examples are only intended to show a different way. 
the way of love rather than the way of vengeance and hatred. They're not intended to be prescriptive. Our situations are very different, but they are intended to show that whatever situation you're in, we need to think it through for ourselves by reflecting on the generous and costly love of God and find ways of expressing that love in situations where we might more naturally fume with hate and want to lash out. So again I ask, does this all seem rather beyond us? Is this just pie-in-the-sky religious talk? You know, what we hear about on Sunday morning, then forget about at 12 noon? Well, no, this is actually of fundamental importance. The Christian ethic of love is the way human communities were meant to be. It's God's blueprint. And we Christians who are part of the church have a mandate to live this new life and show a better way. Because loving our enemies stops the propagation of evil in its tracks. We've all heard the phrase, paying it forwards. That is when we're the recipient of a random act of kindness. We then pay it forward to another person. And we're told that this is how we change the world. But another way to achieve the same thing is to stop the evil from being propagated. So when we're on the receiving end of hatred, and that might happen tomorrow for some of us, or during the week, we don't pay it back. We creatively engage with it. We absorb it. We turn the tables by responding in love. Not by subservience, of course. Not by ignoring bad and hateful behavior and somehow saying it's okay. It's not okay. But by surprising the perpetrator by engaging with love. Now, the main reason I think we can live this way is because of Jesus. Jesus is the very best exemplar of living out this ethic of nonviolence and forgiveness and love for enemies. He opened up a new way for us to live. And we mustn't get sucked back into the cultural ways of responding. We must lift ourselves to what Jesus showed. When people mocked him, he didn't respond with vitriol. When they challenged him, he told quizzical, sometimes humorous stories that forced them to think differently. When they struck him, he took the pain. When they put the heavy crossbeam of his own execution on his back, he carried it without complaint. When they nailed him to the cross, he prayed for his accusers. He asked God to forgive them, and he made provision for his mother's welfare. So, because Jesus embodied this new ethic of love so perfectly, under the most extreme circumstances, he is able to say to us, love your enemies. Now, I want to finish with what I hope will be a very practical application. We were reminded just last week that we commonly attribute our own mistakes to unfortunate circumstances and our positive contributions to our own skill and virtue. 
And yet for others, we can reverse this. The positive contributions are flukes, and their mistakes are because, well, they've got a character flaw or something like that. Not universally, of course, but it's a general tendency of human nature to impute motives wrongly. So instead, decide in your own mind to attribute the very best motives to those you disagree with. To the person who dislikes you. I found that it's notoriously difficult to guess what motivates people. And so the best course of action is to believe that they are well-meaning. And secondly, when someone is treating you with contempt, behaving like an enemy, pray for God's grace and respond with love, with warm-heartedness, and find a way to express gratitude to that person. So don't run away from the person who is treating you in this way. Don't run away from your enemy. In fact, seek out the person who doesn't like you or even hates you and look for the positive contributions they make and express gratitude. This is your opportunity to live the gospel, to live the way of Jesus, to follow Jesus and extend God's love, which of course is our parish vision. Amen.